Thank you, AJ. We are in the Old Testament tonight, and Exodus 19, and not part of our reading, but uh, we'll look at Gen- uh, Deuteronomy 5 as well. It's kind of interesting. Um, actually, in Exodus 19, we're looking at a passage of Scripture just before the Ten Commandments were given. And then in Deuteronomy 5, we look at a section of Scripture after the Ten Commandments were given. For our reading, I just want to read verses 1 through 6 and 10 through 14 in Exodus 19. So I ask you to stand in God's honor as I read. In the third month after the Israelites left Egypt... On the very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you. On eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my trust, treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Then down at verse 10. And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not go up the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. He shall surely be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on him. Whether man or animal, he shall not be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast, may they go up to the mountain. After Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them and they washed their clothes. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your law, Father. Um, As the psalmist says, great peace have they which love thy law. And nothing shall offend them. Father, your laws are not burdensome. They are to keep us close to you. And Father, I pray that as we look at your word tonight, that you will reveal to us, Father, the fact that your laws are not merely rules, but, Father, part of relationship that you desire to share with us. And so, Father, let us look at your word and be reminded of this great fact. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I have a lengthy outline here as we look at the law. Um, First, in verses 3 through 6, the giving of the law established the fact that God wants a relationship with us, with mankind. And um, there... uh, church I was in, there was a youth minister there, and he said something that I have used many times, and it has proven to be so true. He said, rules without relationship equals rebellion. 
Rules without relationship equals rebellion. When you tell people, you know, it's my way or the highway, and you lay down the list of rules, and you play Mr. Tough Guy, and people don't understand why these rules matter, inevitably, that leads to trouble. It leads to rebellion. Because God has placed within our hearts a desire to have the relationship, not merely the rules. Um, that happens kids with parents. That happens, you know, in a work relationship. And the same's true with God. When people say, well, you know, God just wants me to follow the Ten Commandments, but they don't understand that it's part of a special relationship that he has with his people, they miss out. You know, as you see the people, God's people, as they were slaves in Egypt, God set them free, and he brought these ten plagues. Why did he do that? Because he wanted to set them free. He cared about them. He was interested in relationship with them. Uh, you know, some of the plagues, what an amazing sight it must have been. Uh, water turned to blood. Uh, plagues of hell. Plagues of locusts. Plagues of darkness. Uh, the one that's always caught my attention is the plagues of frogs where, you know, they come to Pharaoh and said, when do you want us to get rid of these frogs? And he said, tomorrow. I guess they wanted just another day of frogs everywhere, everywhere you turned. I never quite understood that one. But the uh, whole point of these plagues is God was with his people and he was showing them, I'm with you. And then he parted the mighty waters and we know how God led his people safely through and then the waters came back and flooded the enemies and and how God was at work. He did all this because of relationship. A um, couple of verses here. You are God's special treasure. Look at verse 5 of Exodus 19. He says, Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, out of all nations you'll be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine. God went in search of his people. I, you know, I love with Abraham. He says, you see the stars. He said, your, your descendants will be blessed. Why? It was because of relationship. Abraham was called God's friend. It was that faith walk. And he reached out and touched a people to become his special treasure. His special people that he showed his love to. You see, the blessings we have come from God. James 1.17 tells us, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. God doesn't change. God is faithful. God can be trusted. And the good that we have, it's because of Him. The reason we have food to eat, the reason we have what we need to survive, it's because of His goodness. The reason um, that we're not plagued with disease, the reason that we do heal is because of his goodness. The reason we miss some of the accidents that we almost were in is because of his kindness and because of his goodness. Um, it is because of his goodness that he works. Um, God communicates his desire to make you his special treasure above all things. And as he was sharing with Moses, he said, I want to be in covenant with you. I want us to be more than distant. I want us to be close. 
you know, as you think about babies, and we just have a natural attraction to babies. You know, we came in, a bunch of us, I, you know, I, I told Haley, I said, I just want to, you know, squeeze uh, Josie's toe, you know. It, it's something about a baby. They're just so precious, such a precious example. And God said, I, I, you're precious to me. I, I, I want you to know that. I, and, and, you know, I think of this scripture here, and then it makes me think of 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, where where it says, um, you are a chosen people. You are, um, you're a, a holy nation, a, a people belonging to God. He says that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. He says, once you were not a people, now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, now you've received mercy. That's God as, as he is at work. As he draws us near, and then I think of, um, it's, I think it's Romans eight sixteen and 17, and he says, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. I think it's 16, he says, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. And, and so there's this picture that we are as precious to God as a, a little baby is to us. You know, you can't really put a price tag on a baby or a a child. The love is all the love that you have. I remember reading one day, you know, and they asked a parent, they said, well, which child do you love the most? And he said, the one that needs me right now. Because the love that you have is all the love that you have. For each child. it's, It's hard to explain that, but the heart of a parent knows that. Uh, he could have chosen the angels, such beautiful creatures uh, that God made powerful, um, you know, that, that shine with the glory of God. But he didn't. I mean, he could have chose the, the stars and the vastness of the universe, but he chose us. He, he chose people made in God's image to come into relationship and to have a special place with Him, the living God. How, how else um, does He work where He establishes that relationship? His goal involves change. Look at verse 6. He says, You will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. He wanted to do a work... Within his people. And of course in the New Testament. He says it's to make us like Jesus. He is. He is on a mission. To transform us. Into the image of his son. As it says. You know there again in Romans 8. He he talks about that. You know right in that section of scripture. We like to quote. That says he works all things for good. The next verse he says. For those he predestined. He also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. And, and for what purpose? To make us into the image of Christ. That, that, that's his plan. That's his work. I heard about a, a wedding where the bride was so nervous she didn't know if she could make it down to the front of the church for the ceremony. And so the advice that she got was, one step at a time, honey. What, what you need to do first is just concentrate on walking down the aisle. Then once you get about halfway, think about... The man you're going to marry. Think about the groom. And then think about the altar. And before you know it, you'll be right there at the front. And things will work out. But she was one of these people that when she's concentrating, she has to speak out loud in order to communicate. So she got halfway down. She started saying, I'll alter him. I'll alter him. I'll alter him. 
And, and the truth of the matter is, in so many relationships, people come in thinking, well, they're not perfect, but I'll fix that. I'll alter him or I'll alter her. It'll take a while, but I'll train them so it'll work out. But, but the truth of the matter is, usually that doesn't work. And secondly, it's usually because I want them to make me more comfortable. But God's work is for our benefit because He has made us to glorify Him. He has made us to be servants. He has, He has created us in His image for that particular type of work. That's what He's about. The change that he did was, he said, I want to make you guys priests. And a priest is an ambassador between God and man. He's that go-between, that representative that shows the relationship that God wants to have. Someone has said that the Ten Commandments, uh, a good example of that is like a runway at an airport. You know, if you look at it from an airplane, a runway it does not look very big. It's just a narrow piece strip of land. But certainly if you're on that plane, and certainly if you're the pilot, you don't want to say, well, even though that's a narrow strip of land, I don't really care if you hit the runway. Just, you know, if, if you want to hit within half a mile of the runway, that's fine. It doesn't matter if there's houses or, or water or, or, you know, a farm. Or Are you kidding me? No way. You, the, you want to make sure that pilot hits that narrow runway because that's the broad way you want. Because you know that the broad way is the safe way to land. And and it is that way with the Ten Commandments. Yeah, the way of Jesus, the way of the law may seem narrow, but it's really the broad way to life that counts and that matters. And it's a safe place to be that God has created for us. Uh, this next one here, the giving of the law established the fact that the relationship must be on God's terms. First, God requires us to be clean. Look there in verse 10. He says, have them wash their clothes. Why would he say that? Well, I I think a couple of things here. It was a picture of the fact that God cares about us making an effort to be clean. He, he, He cares about how we live. That is not what makes us holy, but it is a sign that we have been made holy by His power. That we want to be set apart for Him. That there is something that's sacred. There is something that's holy. And and so the idea of the clean clothes gives us that picture, willingness to get clean. Secondly, um. It's also a picture of when we think of the law that although you can get clean on the outside, that's not enough. There must be a cleaning not only of the clothes, there must be a cleaning of the heart. And, of course, how does that occur? As we know in the scriptures, it comes only by being washed, not in soap. But we understand the language. You might not if you hadn't been in church. But in the blood of the Lamb, by the work of Christ... By the way of the cross. First Peter one eighteen and 19 says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. 
He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. That, that's where the cleansing comes. It comes, we know, from Christ. Um, we have to be clean. All right, uh, God requires you must be totally dedicated to him. It, there's a consecration. As you look at verse 14 and on, he says, After Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them and they washed their clothes. Then he said to the people, Prepare yourselves for the third day. Abstain from sexual relations. Uh, this idea of, of to abstain, to to set yourself apart, to to be consecrated, was an idea of you need to take this time to put your full concentration, all of your energies, upon preparing to meet me. To be set apart upon this mountain. It is to be set apart for that special purpose. Um, you know, I, I think in our house, we only have one TV set. And it is not consecrated. It is not set apart for one purpose. That one TV set, uh, we get, right now we don't have cable, but you can use the, get the local stations with an antenna. You can watch Netflix. You can play the Wii. Or one of my sons has an Xbox. But we only have one TV. So that guy, that, that, it has to multitask because it's used in a lot of different ways, even though it's just one TV. But we are not to live a life that goes in a lot of different directions, but we must follow one purpose, and that's Christ. We're, we're set apart for his purpose and for his work. And the point here of this, he's telling these couples to abstain from sex. It wasn't because God's against sex or anything like that. It's because I, I want your attention, I want your heart for this moment to be focused here. It, 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 was a, it was a picture of saying, guys, I want your attention. It's just like fasting. You, you don't eat just because food is bad. You, you don't eat because it's a time where I need to place my energies, my full strength upon the Lord for this amount of time to come to Him uh, to show Him that, God, I need you. To, to, to show Him that there's a passion there. Next, God requires you observe His limits in His timetable. Um, look here at verses 12 and 13. He says, put limits for the people around the mountain. He says, be careful you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Who touches the mountains to be put to death, they're to be stoned or shot with arrows, not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animal shall be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they approach the mountain. So there were these limits upon when to approach the mountain and how the mountain was to be approached as it was a holy place. And it, it, God in his holiness, there was a picture of like a huge thunderstorm and bolts of lightning and, and frightening thunderclaps. And, and, and because God is not to be treated in a trivial fashion, so, so they were to stay back until that proper time. And, and so with the Ten Commandments, God, since that time, he's put limitations not to restrict us, but really to free us. As it says in Psalm 37, really it's safe pasture to keep us from 
being hurt by the predators, by sin and by our sinful nature and by the enemy of God, the devil. And, and he has these limitations that's, like I said, really to, to free us. That's how he works. An idea that I can live outside of God's law is not freeing, but we find out it's really bondage. You know, for every one of God's blessings, the devil has a cheap imitation. And, you know, we take time and go through all of those. But the point of the matter is, his cheap imitation never fills the heart. It always empties us. And in the end, it doesn't free us, but it enslaves us. And our hearts are not filled, but broken. When we don't follow those limits that God sets, really, to free us. People think that, most people think God judges them on their performance. Were they nice or annoying? Certainly God would pick the nice guy, not the annoying guy. Generous or stingy, God certainly wants the generous guy, not the stingy guy. Did they smoke, chew, or woo? Opposite sex, you know. What kind of guy are they? But God doesn't do that. We tend to think he grades on the curve. But he never grades on our performance. He grades on his provision. The cross. He grades on forgiveness that he completed by the way of the cross. Not by how good or bad we performed. That's not how it works. Next, the giving of the law established the fact the law can never be the foundation for a personal relationship with God. Now, as I said, this other one happened before the Ten Commandments were given. Now, in Deuteronomy, as we read, this happens after the giving of the Ten Commandments. And in 23 through 27, it says, When you heard the voice out of the darkness, while the mountain was ablaze with fire, all the leading men of your tribes and your elders came to me. And you said, The Lord our God has shown us His glory and His majesty, and we've heard His voice from the fire Today we have seen that a man can live even if God speaks with him. But now, why should we die? This great fire will consume us and we will die if we hear the voice of the Lord, our God, any longer. For what mortal man has ever heard the voice of the living God speaking out of fire as we have and survived? Go near and listen to all the Lord our God says and then tell us whatever the Lord our God tells you. We will listen and we will obey. The giving of the law is never the foundation for a personal relationship with God. Um, first, the law cannot relieve our fear. Um, if you look at verse 25 that I just read, he says, why should we die? The great fire will consume us. And and we will die if we hear the voice of the Lord, our God, any longer there was this fear in approaching god why was there a fear because when we're honest we know we're guilty when we're honest we know we're sinners and i love that verse in romans 5 8 that says while we were still sinners christ died for us he didn't wait for us to do whatever we thought we had to do he worked even when we were at our worst. He gave his best. Isn't that great? A good sign of this that proves it in daily life. Confessional here. 
preacher confess. How do you feel when there's a policeman behind you and you're driving down the road? Yeah, Lisa. I saw it look on Lisa's face. Ugh. What do I think? Am I doing something wrong? Is he going to stop me? Am I speeding? I mean, all this stuff goes through my mind. I'm worried that I'm guilty. That I'm going to get a ticket. That I'm going to get stopped. And the law doesn't relieve the fear. The law worries me that there's going to be fear because maybe I'm doing something wrong. And yet God calls us for that not to be the main way we live. That's why I love that Romans 8.1. Such a great verse. Um, where it tells us that in Christ there's no condemnation. Isn't that great? Therefore, there is not no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The law has been fulfilled, not abolished, but fulfilled by the work of the cross. That, that, that's good news that he gives to us. And the fact of the matter is, we can say, well, you know, I hadn't, done, I hadn't broken that law, but you've broken the law. As it says in James 2.10, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet is guilty of breaking it at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. So it doesn't matter if you've broken the whole law. Have you broken any of the law? And, of course, the Scripture makes it clear we're all law breakers. Um, The law cannot erase our guilt or shame. And guilt and shame is expressed there in verse 26. He says, What mortal man's ever heard the voice of the living God speaking out of fire as we have and survived? Oh, there's a recognition of guilt, recognition of shame, and that they're guilty. Romans 3.20, it says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. We become aware of the sin. Romans 7, 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. You see, the purpose of the law is not to remove our guilt. The purpose of the law is to expose our guilt. The law doesn't remove our guilt. It makes the guilt known so that we need to run to God to get it resolved because we see clearly that we need a Savior because we are sinners. That's what it's about. Uh, Next, the law cannot provide forgiveness or love. Listen to Hebrews 7.27. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. You see, the sacrificial system that's in the old covenant, it it never was for the purpose of erasing sin, but to cover over the sin. And they had to have the sacrifice again. And again and again. Because for a time, it would it would cover the sin. But, but that's not what happened at the cross. At the cross when Jesus died, it was a sin that was completed once and for all to pay for our sin. It wasn't necessary to have a sacrifice again and again and again as before. Because the perfect sacrifice paid the penalty of sin for all time. 
the next the law cannot change us. It can change our actions out of fear, but it doesn't ultimately change our hearts. That's something God has to do as He transforms us. You know, Second Corinthians five seventeen. I'm quoting scripture. Somebody quote Second Corinthians five seventeen for me. I bet somebody here can. Need a jump start? If any man is in Christ, the new has come. Thank you. There's a newness God brings through us. He makes us new people, new creation, new creatures. Translation. He does that work within us that transforms us. He changes the heart. Think about the fruit of the Spirit. Y'all help me with this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You might know a different translation. It might be a little different than that. But the point of the matter is, it says at the end of that, against such things there is no law. Why? Because it's not about the law. It's about the heart change that, that happens. You know, Vance Havner used to like to tell the story of the little boy that got in an argument with his dad. You know, he was supposed to put his seatbelt on in the back seat. He didn't want to put his seatbelt on. He said, Dad, I'll be safe. I'm not putting my seatbelt on. You have to put your seatbelt on. And I mean, they were going back and forth with this. Finally, the little boy knew, you know what? I'm going to get a bad spanking if I don't put my seatbelt on. So he put his seatbelt on. So his dad said, okay. They started down the road. And the little boy said, Dad, I just have to tell you. I might be wearing my seatbelt on the outside, but on the inside, I'm still standing up. It is God that does the work to change us on the inside. And that brings me to the last point here. The giving of the law established the fact that entering into a relationship with God requires a decision. Um, they knew the rewards of the relationship. God blesses as we walk with Him. They knew the character of the one who is offering the relationship that he was holy and that he was reaching out to them. They knew his character, that, that he is a God who is just, but he's also a God that loves. They knew the alternative to entering into the relationship. And what is the alternative? No hope. No forgiveness. Of course, it talks about weeping and gnashing of teeth. And, and I, you know, I, I don't understand the fullness of the suffering and the agony. But I can tell you this, it's not good. We need a Savior. And the only way to know the fullness of eternity is with Jesus and with His hope and with the relationship that He provides. But He requires a decision. He doesn't force any of us into that relationship because he wants it to be a relationship and not something that is forced. So we have to come on his terms, but we come with a blessing that he alone can give. So laying down the law, let's pray. Father, thank you for the importance of your word, the importance of the law, Father. Father, before the law, you told the people it 
This is about relationship, what I'm about to give you, these Ten Commandments. And then after the law, he said, you know, here's the Ten Commandments, but it's still about relationship. And we have a decision. You have your laws, Lord, and those laws ultimately are about love. But it's still within the confines and the context of relationship. It's not just empty ritual. It's not just laws that we have to keep. So it's about love, and, and it, it's within that narrow runway of, of, of love, Father, that's your law. And I pray, Father, that we'd be drawn to you. And, and tonight, Father, as, as we think about following you and the importance of your law, as it says in Psalm 119, 165, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Give us a real love, Father, for you, and ultimately for your law. Because at that point, um, we find that we don't stumble when we love you and we walk in your law. I don't know what you want to do tonight in us. I just pray you have freedom to do that, to follow you in your call, Lord, to trust you, to say yes to the movement of your Holy Spirit, whatever that may be. Um, of course, the gospel's always foremost. There's never a bad time to, to find forgiveness in, in the work of Jesus Christ at the cross and to say, forgive me. And there's never a bad time to turn your direction if we're going the wrong direction and to follow you, whatever the decision is. When it brings us closer to you, it's the right one. And so all that, Father, we bring to you as we prepare to stand and sing. We want to do what you want. And so may you be glorified in this time we call invitation or response. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.